This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Today we're talking about how to save the summer and that actually may be save the start of the school year in terms of how families can set up for success in these now stressful times. My guest is Dr. Sharon Saline, a psychologist of over 30 years experience whose office is in Western Massachusetts. She has written a book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, which I think is a great perspective for parents and children to start from. And most recently, has put out an ADHD Solutions card deck, which both parents and kids can use to help facilitate their communication. Dr. Saline, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you, David. And I'm, I am very excited, if that's the right word, to talk about this topic because I think it's on the, on the tips of all of our tongues and the fronts of our brains about what we're going to be doing, um, you know, for the rest of the summer for sure, but also how we're going to transition to the fall. Absolutely. Looking at that, things you had set out, uh, in terms of planning things for the summer, I think apply specifically uh, or in most ways to the beginning of the school year with distance learning online where parents may have to do their own work as well as keep children occupied and figure out how to be IT consultant and teacher uh, depending on how the school has set it up. And that's so stressful for so many parents um, because particularly for parents of kids with ADHD or learning disabilities or high-functioning autism, these parents were not trained um, to support the learning of, of kids with these particular academic and social challenges. While, of course, you know, as parents, you know your child better than anyone and you love them, there are still certain skills. Um, in terms of educating your kids that probably aren't in your wheelhouse. And so, you know, in addition to the stress of working at home or dealing with job insecurity or housing insecurity or food insecurity, you're now dealing with education insecurity. And it's a lot. Yes, it is. And I've certainly seen over the past many, many months, four months and counting, um, in all the patients I talk with, there's an underlying angst for everybody that takes up some of your bandwidth all the time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's just an added, that how to deal with uncertainty is uh, difficult. Um, so one of the things that I see on your list of things that help, and it's something I'm trying to stress with patients too, is setting up the daily routine. Yes. It's really important to have some kind of daily routine. And it's not only uh, 
grounds your family in what they're doing each day and what to expect. But it also helps because you have some kind of predictability, it helps to reduce anxiety. And right now, anxiety is just so high for kids, particularly for kids who have ADHD or learning other learning challenges and don't know what to expect this fall, and, of course, for adults themselves. And so having some kind of general routine helps everybody slow down a little bit and know what's coming. And when you have some idea of knowing what's coming, when you can control the things that are within your bandwidth, it helps give you some comfort about the things that you can't control. Instead of feeling like everything is up in the air, there are some things that have some structure. Mm -hmm. One thing that occurs to me, and certainly... Kids in elementary school, it, I think, would be easier to say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to get up this time and breakfast, and then we're going to start school or uh, whatever you want to call it uh, at a certain time. Whereas with middle school and high schoolers, um, kind of negotiating how we're going to do this, and no, you can't sleep until 10:30. Uh, so. Yes, you need to be in bed by 11 or whatever. Um, but Well, we, we want to collaborate with our kids, yeah. you know, and particularly with middle and high schoolers. And that doesn't mean you, you capitulate. It doesn't mean you give in. Um, but they want to go to bed at 2, and you want them to, bed, to go to bed at 10. Is there somewhere on, on the other side of midnight, you know, somewhere between 10 and 12, that you could agree on and is a reasonable time and that you can actually monitor because it doesn't work to say to your kids, uh, you need to go to bed by midnight and then you're fast asleep at 930. You know, you go, you can't monitor them. So how are you going to actually create a system that you can monitor and you can agree on? Yeah, and certainly, and this is true for adults too, having the phone right there or the tablet, whatever, um, next to the bedside, and I'm suggesting people uh, do screen distance just as you would social distance from someone else. Mm-hmm. Screen distance needs to be six feet away. Um, once you get to bed, and ideally screen distance starting two hours before bed, so there isn't that. Uh, and the stimulation of things on a screen and certainly the increased anxiety of anything that's related to news. Yes, I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that getting off screens anywhere from, you know, uh, and some people say 30 minutes, some people say 90 minutes before bed is helpful. Of course, having... Um, having uh, adjustments on your screen so that they're not so bright, uh, that there's a filter on them, that can also be helpful. But I happen to agree that we all need time to kind of disconnect from our screens and from the intensity of the world around us so that we can get a good night of rest. And getting a good night of rest also helps reduce stress. And um, which is why it's so important to do right now more than ever. What have you found to be effective ways as far as limiting that screen time? 
even with a third grader, that can be a, a difficult uh, thing to do. Well, I think this goes back to setting up some kind of regular schedule, um, and you know, uh, so that it's clear, you know, what what is the baseline amount of screen time that you want your child to have. And how can they earn perhaps additional screen time through cooperative behaviors, through easing off a screen period um, at one time of the day in order to earn something another time of the day? Um, these these are ways that you can set up uh, expectations around screen use. You know, when kids are are screaming and melting down about getting off their their screens, what they're showing you is that they have a dependency, which is concerning, but there's also probably not enough, um, for lack of a better word, regulation about how screens are used in families. What I've seen a lot recently, David, is that over the COVID um, situation, many parents have given their kids free access to screens, much more access than they would normally give, beyond double, and that kids um, are now kind of feel entitled and are demanding about it. And when I've worked with families that actually um, are able to sit down and say, here's what's going to happen, your baseline is going to be an hour and a half, and it can happen at this period of the day or this period of day, and how you get off of that baseline will determine if you get a half-hour bonus um, later in the day of your choice, so that way you can have a little more time, or a third, and, a, and possibly a second bonus, which is, you know, we as a family will watch something on TV. You know, either we'll watch something on TV or we'll play a game, but either way, we're going to do something together. Um, some families link it to chores. You know, you, you 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 ease off your first period of screen, you get a bonus. You do your chores, you get a second bonus. You don't do your chores, you don't ease off, you don't get the bonus. So for kids, it's a natural incentive because they actually want their screen time. But it has to be, you know, at at a set or a scheduled period of time. You know, what I would encourage parents to do is kind of think like a camp counselor right now. You wake up, you have breakfast, you have activity period one. Then you have a break, then you have activity period two. Then maybe you have lunch. And uh, maybe there's a rest. Maybe there's activity period three. And then there's free choice. <laughs> and then chores yeah. and then dinner. And that, that, that you can fill in, you know, what you want in those activity periods. And you can link having screen time to the completion of things during that activity mm-hmm. period. I think a lot of parents forget that they actually are in charge. Yeah. I know parents, they have to get work done so it's easier to give let seven-year-old be on screen while they get something done, and that's the tough balance. Or certainly by age seven, kids know how to find the screen and get on it. Um, so that's that, that difficulty uh, monitoring. And some of that is probably setting up filters on whatever the screen device is in terms of when it can access the Internet, when it can be on off those kinds of things and that takes some some planning and what we've been talking about in terms of setting up routine is have a an overall plan to start and then right and it's good to like have a weekly family meeting where you talk about what are what are your goals what do you want to have happen kids 
don't want to argue with their parents. They don't like arguing with their parents any more than parents like being argued with. So what I would really encourage families to do is once a week make a time for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, depending how long your kids can tolerate it, and talk about, you know, what do we want? We have a month left of the summer, or six weeks left of the summer. How do we want to spend that time? What's a few things that we would really like to be able to do? What would be something, a place we could go that we, we've never been? Or how could we do local little day trips? Can we go pick some berries? Can we try a new ice cream store? Can we maybe find a place, a swimming hole that we haven't visited Um Walk a new, uh, a walk a new path um, in a park in a city, and that yeah, you know having things to look forward to like that would really help. And so you want to have some conversation. You can't just impose, um, you know, this is going to be activity one, and here's what you're going to do. We yeah. want to give kids some directed free choice, right? Here's activity period one. Here are the three things you can choose. Let's brainstorm what those three things will be. And that, in terms of the other things that get outside, the ice cream store thing, I've been suggesting to people that on a weekend day, and it, it may be in the afternoon uh, on other days, but do some things out of the usual routine. So it's not, okay, five days a week we're doing work and school here at home, and then on weekends we're here at home, and then we're doing work and school at home. But to be able to get out of the house and do some activities, which still can be done with the social distancing and wearing masks, um, but whether it's and a place you can take a picnic and um, be next to a lake or a river or um, mm-hmm. yeah, have a picnic out in the backyard and put up a tent or um, with a blanket or something like that. The family mm-hmm. can do it and it's different than just the usual uh, pattern of things. Yeah, have a, have, have a, ha, ha, make s'mores in your kitchen. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, uh, um, and, you know, of course, as your kids get older, it's a little harder to engage them. Teenagers naturally don't want to spend a lot of time with you. But that doesn't mean you still can't have family dinner. I'm working with a family now, and the parents have set their, 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 their daughter's 17. And they said, two family dinners a night. And you gotta come with a relatively positive attitude. You know, you mm-hmm. can't come and sulk and curse at us and be nasty. And that's actually working for this family. The days are set. Mm-hmm. The times are set. So the um, the teenager can still keep their job and see, see their, their boyfriend mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, and so I think that's what's important because we we want to connect with each other and we want that connection to be, you know, pleasant and even fun. Um it can't always be that way. And, and I do want to say one more thing. Like, for the, for, for parents, this is a really hard time. It's really hard because you're stressed and you're fed up and you've got to manage your kids as well, uh, who are having similar feelings to you, except they don't have the maturity or the tools or the skills to manage them. So it's really important for parents that you figure out something you can do for yourself if not every day, that's small, but at least every week that fills your bucket. You know, what is that? Is it going for a run? Is it taking a walk with a friend? Is it having a bath? 
is it being able to meditate? You know, what are, what is something that helps you fill up your, your sense of, of self, of, 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 of your, your ability to stay grounded? It's really important right now because as we head into the fall, and we have to deal with school again, you know, no one's excited about this prospect. And so your kids aren't excited, and and probably you're not super excited, and we're all worried about contamination and getting sick. And so we have to join as, as, as adults and make sure that we have a friend we can talk to every day or we do our nails or whatever it is that helps us uh, feel like we are doing something nice for ourselves. It's right. really important right now. It doesn't involve your favorite phone game, maybe birds or whatever the newest one is. Um, that may be fun, but that's more of an escape and not a recharge. Um, and yeah, exactly, exactly. We want to really focus on what, um, what. You know what fills me up, and maybe that means during your lunch break you don't eat, your, you don't, you know, you don't go to the lunch room, but you actually take a 30-minute walk, um, and you eat your lunch at your desk. It's not ideal, but it 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 helps you, you know, break up the monotony. Um, Particularly around, and or and I don't even know why I said the break room because the break room is probably people's kitchen. <laughs> And, okay, now it's, you've had half an hour time, now it's time to go back and sit in your room and get on the computer. There need to be some transition times, and that's where sitting outside, even if it's just going outside and sitting in the backyard for a while, um, doing something so you're outside and not just looking at four walls. The other thing I think is important is a transition between home and school or for parents home and work. It's normal. Mm-hmm. You have to get on the bus, you get on drive, you do something that helps you mentally get from home and now I'm at work. And one patient of mine who's very regimented and he says, I just need this structure, he usually takes the bus to work. So now he leaves his house, he goes out to his bus stop. He comes back and he does what he would have been doing on the bus. <laughs> At the time he would have gotten to work, then he gets up and goes into his workstation room. So he keeps that routine, but that's that transition. I don't think everybody would be quite that regimented in time. But people who have, they're very happy they don't have an hour commute. But at least maybe it's getting the car and driving around the block two times. In the car, you're moving, and now you come back and go to work. And right. I, th- I think it w- it's easy to fill up that time with chores and other yeah. things. But I would encourage people to go outside. You know, soon enough it'll be rainy and cold and snowy. And, you know, take your child 
and put them on their scooter and walk around the block. Uh, you walk and they can scooter and then go start your day. You know, that the endorphins that are released through exercise bathe the brain in, 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 in chemicals that help us feel good. And they will help you feel good and they'll help your child. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think getting outside and people up here in Seattle, hopefully uh, you're running into some sunny weather. But, uh, well, it, you know, it rained. And I say, you know, they make hoods for coats. And they do have hats. And if mm-hmm. worse comes to worse, you can get an umbrella and those, then you look like a tourist. Most people in Seattle don't use umbrellas. Right. Yes. Yes. No, you wouldn't. But getting outside, particularly in that morning, get the fresh air, get things moving. Um, so it's not too Right. Hard. And the other thing is when we're outside, we can wear masks and have contact with people in person. Um, if we're, you know, about eight feet, six to eight feet apart, um, you could have a picnic with another family. Um, that's a little harder mm-hmm. for kids because they can't, you can't necessarily control that they're not going to interact. So maybe you just wear your mask and you just eat on your blanket. And when you're done eating, then they can put their masks on and run around. But um, that in-person contact is uh, is so important, particularly for kids with ADHD who often struggle uh, with um, social issues, uh, social anxiety, peer relationships. They need to keep um, using those muscles uh, because online uh, interactions are very different. And a lot of, particularly boys, but also girls, are using gaming as their way to connect with their friends. And you can't take an emotional weather report from, uh, 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 from you know, from what's happening gaming. You can't read into someone's feelings or facial expressions with a text. So it is, it, and while our ma- our, the mask covers part of our face, it still allows us to have conversations in, in real human time, and that's very valuable. Yeah, that's the other thing in terms of masks, um, whether someone in the family is good at sewing or being able to put things together or even you know, kids looking through all the various places you can get masks now find ones that may express yourself, you like bright colors, you want uh-huh. you want it, whatever so that there's some fun with it because yes, it is a bit of a nuisance to have to um, have this thing on your face, but it at the same time, you can make it mm-hmm. more fun. Uh-huh. And the, uh, the social contact, I talked to so many kids, and it tends to be boys, that uh, yep, they're already into video gaming, and they're doing multiplayer, and everybody's talking while they're gaming. So for them, oh yeah, see, that's my social contact. I'm trying to convince them that you need some more person to person. Yes, uh-huh. all those things are helpful, but having some way to uh, relate to people person to person, like you said, um, maybe if you have a driveway and people are on either side of the driveway, okay, kids can uh-huh. 
Exactly. I mean, in in my town, there was actually an article in the paper, and I saw the I saw these these teenage girls. They 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 been meet they started meeting you know in April. They each drove their car to a little parking lot. I would bike mm-hmm. by them, and they'd have their cars you know apart, and they'd sit on the trunk of their cars, and they'd start to talk yep. to each other. They were social distancing and seeing each other weekly. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a paper an article in the paper about you know, the creative ways that kids are trying to connect. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, practicing uh, physical distancing um, is, is, is important. And I think one of the things that's a real concern for parents of kids with ADHD and parents of kids without it is, you know, how do we know that our kids are social distancing safely? And it seems to me that what has to happen is that you, you need to talk to your, your kids really um, concretely and remind them. Show them with a tape measure. This is what six feet looks like. When they go out, make sure there's a mask in their backpack. Remind them to use their mask and the value of using a mask, that when they're using a mask, they're protecting not just themselves, but they're also the other person. In fact, really, masks protect other people. Um, and it's hard because if you're with a group of teens and no one's wearing a mask and you put a mask on, it's, it's uncomfortable. But it's really important. And so, you know, you might want to practice with your teen having them have some friends over in your yard so you can see how your child is managing. Or on your balcony if you live in a city. For the teens to say, you know, we don't want grandma to get sick. We don't want anybody else's grandma to get sick either. And that's right. where if you're wearing a mask so that if you may have a virus in your system and you're spreading it to other people, but you aren't going to get sick for two days. So you don't even know you have it. And I think that's one of the things that's difficult for a lot of people to understand. But having that conversation with kids um, as a family, this is why we're doing this. This is why it's important. And we all want to contribute our own part. Yeah, we can't be making a vaccine or be working in the emergency room, whatever, but everybody can come together to make our own contribution to the effort to uh, control us. And I think uh, we talked about the weekly family meeting. Maybe as coming up to this transition to school, maybe that's got to be a twice a week. That's exactly. And and keep it shorter. I had one family that they met twice a week for ten minutes each day for ten minutes, Monday and Thursday. Just check in at night, like, and that worked. The other families like to do a half hour on Sunday, and that's it. You know, we talk about what would make sense. You, your kids aren't going to jump up and down and say, yay, family meeting. Yeah, yeah. I know my kids were, well, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, they would say, I hate being the child of a psychologist. <laughs> but, you know, they sat down. We would talk about stuff because then they didn't, then I didn't have to nag them during the week. Um, yeah. You know, when, when both of them were applying to college, it was a once-a-week conversation. There you go. Because I couldn't, you know, if, unless they didn't follow through, in which case I earned myself, uh, I got, I, they, I earned and they gave me a second, um, a second check-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the, uh, 
Maybe it's okay. This is a an issue we're kind of trying to figure out. Then at our next meeting in three days, everybody bring back one idea on how we might approach that, so that there's a I love that idea collaboration and contributing. And there's kind of we don't have to decide it right now, but we're going to set a time that we're going to talk about it again. And that's that. Maybe right. frequent meetings. Because this transition to school is going to be tough. There's one other thing I'd like to suggest, uh, and I've seen so many parents say every teacher is using something different to communicate. It's maybe Microsoft Teams or Google Docs. This one wants you to open their website. So write to school principals, school administrators, and say, listen, everybody, every teacher in your school has to be using the same platform. I don't care what it is. You can keep yes. how to use it. At none of this. Here, here. I completely agree. In different grades, and you have five teachers who doing something different. It's totally crazy making. And I don't think that's, that's fair. Now, admittedly, schools were under the gun. And they, they had two weeks after reopen. But hopefully they've thought things through and have one program that, that everybody's using. Well, as, as usual with our discussions, we're at the uh, time to close it down. Uh, certainly, I think that overall, one of the main things we've talked about is how to reduce the anxiety, because everybody's, everybody's got some, certainly more than we used to have. What are the ways you can do that in terms of the structure for the day, the weekly family meetings that talk about it, and talking about what are you scared of? What are you anxious about? Um, so that that can be a family discussion and also parents are modeling this is how we approach the crouch problem. So Sharon, thank you so much for your ideas and uh, hopefully this will help my listeners figure out ways to not only with the rest of the summer and get some things in place to be able to start into the school year. Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a great pleasure to talk to you and, and perhaps we'll check in again in the fall sometime about how families are doing, families that we're talking to in our practices or in our in, in talks that we're giving and offer uh, support that's that is needed at that time. That would be great. Sounds good. Once again, thank you all for listening. So glad that you could join us. And I'll be back later with another guest and another topic. This has been ADHD Focus. My guest is Dr. Sharon Saline. And her book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, is a great blueprint for being able to help your kids with some of the things that are tough for them.